Well, if you would take your Bible and turn with me to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. We'll start in verse 28. Before I read this passage for you, uh, the elders had given me permission to take a break from Genesis this week. Um, They kindly recognized that we had a lot going on in our lives as a family and just I'm coming back from being out for a week, and we moved, and uh, I've got a lot of things going on, so they said, just choose something uh, shorter, <laughs> uh, something that would, uh, would not be as demanding for you as uh, j- the next sermon in Genesis, and we'll get back to Jacob's messy life next week, um, Lord willing. So, this morning will be more devotional in nature, um, and fairly personal, and, and I trust that what uh, the Lord is encouraging me with will encourage you again. I feel like I'm a beggar who is showing a room full of beggars where I have found bread, and I hope that you'll find some bread to feed your soul this morning as well. Um, along with that, part of what I've been dealing with lately, I've had some diagnoses of rather strange things. I've had this chronic cough for almost two years. They think that something called sarcoidosis. Um, and so in the process of scanning my body and my lungs and all that to, to determine if that's what that indeed is. Then they found a couple of other problems. It's like when you take your car to the shop, right? You brought it in for an oil change, and they tell you you need new brakes and new tires and a new engine block or whatever. So I went in, got a PET scan, and they found a three-and-a-half-inch lesion on my left pelvic bone and some sort of mass-like thing in my uh, large intestine. And so they've been looking at those things. I had a biopsy of the, the thing in my intestine on Friday. I have a bone biopsy on my hip, my pelvic bone on this Tuesday. So all these things going on. Uh, and, and then the, the possible, what could these things be, have, have honestly made me pretty sober about life and, uh, and death, and um, we're praying that none of these things are as serious as they could be. Again, don't Google any of these things that you find, that they tell you about. Um, but um, those thoughts and, and just knowing what's going on in your lives um, brought me back to Heidelberg Catechism Question 1, and, um, and the comfort that the biblical truth summarized there gives us. So 
whatever you're wrestling with, dealing with this morning, whether it's some sort of relational crisis, chaos in your family, whether you too are sick or injured, um, your child is facing some serious surgeries and, and things in the months and years to come, um, we all have things going on, um, whether in ourselves or in someone we love. Uh, the scriptures speak comfort to us. The Heidelberg Catechism was written uh, particularly in, with our misery in mind, uh, the misery of what it is to live in a world that has been corrupted by sin, that's full of sinners, and the suffering that sin causes and death. And the man who was the primary author of this catechism um, said that what we need when we face such misery, such heartache, is we need something bigger and stronger, a bigger and stronger joy and comfort that can help us fight against the encroaching misery. Um, and so this catechism um, is actually a very sweet and personal uh, summary of what the Bible teaches about our only comfort. Um, if you grew up and you have a bad taste in your mouth because of catechism and you feel like, well, that's just all cold, rote doctrine and theology and it didn't do much for me. Friends, let me tell you, this was written for your comfort. Um, these folks gathered the teaching of scriptures to say, when you're facing the worst that life and death can throw at you, here is your only comfort. And catechism comes from a word that just means teaching. And, and this kind of teaching children, uh, teaching the next generation and teaching ourselves as adults what, who God is and what he means to us, uh, what it means to know him and follow him, that's all over scripture and all through church history. So this is a good thing. I'm not intending to preach the catechism. I want to preach the scriptures that it, that it summarizes, and we're going to use it to help us. <coughs> so, again, as I said, this is going to be more devotional in nature and I hope an encouragement to you. But when I was trying to find a, a one passage of Scripture that could kind of sum up what uh, this question and answer number one of this catechism says, I came back to Romans 8. Because what the catechism is going to show us is that our only comfort is that we belong to Jesus. Well, belonging to Jesus, is that a good thing? Yes, because of how he loves us by what he has done and how he continues to love us by what he continues to do for us. And that's what Romans 8 teaches us. So would you stand with me? And let's look at that in these verses. <coughs> Not be particularly... I will come back to Romans 8, but I think this is a great summary of 
the comfort we have that we belong to the one who has loved us in his life and his death and his resurrection and who continues to love us even now as he lives in us by his spirit. So we'll start with verse 28. Very familiar words, I know. Hear the word of the Lord, the word of the God who loves you. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? And now in this section, he's dealing with us as sinners and as sufferings. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies, who is to condemn Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we are, all, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, We are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. Father. Would you help us to bask in these truths this morning? In Jesus' name, amen. What is your only comfort in life and death? That's the first question of this catechism. Notice it did not say, what is your comfort in life and in death? Well, there are all kinds of comforts you can take in life when you're suffering. There's all kinds of comforts you can take as you're dying. Um, And it's not to say that all of those are necessarily wrong or bad. But the question you really want to answer, especially when you're facing death, is... What is your only comfort in life and death? Uh, The man, I said, who wrote most of this catechism, uh, Zacharias Ursinus, said that what we need is a comfort that will survive our funeral. We need a comfort that will survive our funeral because that's the comfort that will sustain us in our living, in our suffering having a conversation with my mom last night about aging, getting older, 
and about <laughs> limitations, how it just, every, every month, every year, there seems to be more and more limitation, and how getting older and dealing with disability and disease um, is disheartening, it, it's discouraging, it's depressing in a lot of ways. And as we were talking about it, um, we started talking about this catechism question and answer, and, and we just we just talked about how those of us who know Jesus, who belong to Jesus, uh, as bad as what this is that we're experiencing, whatever it is at whatever age you are. Um, this is as bad as it's going to be. I mean, it, it can get worse between now and the day you go to meet Jesus. But when we go to Jesus, the, I know it's a, an old cliche, but the best is really yet to come. But then think about, we talked about, think about those who don't know him. This is it. And so I said, well, maybe, maybe in their 40s when they peaked and life was going great. They had a great, great health, family, job, career, financial freedom. Um, that's as good as it's going to get forever. Because they too, like everyone else, like every one of us, are going to die. They're going to get sick. They're going to waste away. And then it's, and, and so that was the best. Or, or maybe in their old age, in their retirement, they're, they're living the dream and they've, they've got money to travel and, and do the things that they, they've always wanted to do and they're enjoying life. But for the one who doesn't know Jesus, that's the best the comfort's going to get. And so the question is, what is the comfort that will be your comfort in life and death? Um, this catechism was written about 500 years ago, but about 400 years ago, a, a Puritan pastor named John Owen um, wrote these words. He said, to those whom Christ is the hope of future glory, he is also the life of present grace. To those whom, for whom Christ is the hope of future glory, he is also the life of present grace. For those whose comfort will survive their funeral, that same comfort will sustain them until their funeral. And John Owen wasn't just speaking from some high ivory tower. He, uh, 10 of his 11 children died while he was still alive. He knew suffering. And that to those whom Christ is the hope of future glory, he is also the life of present grace. That's what this question is about. What is your only comfort in life and in death? And so, let's just look at the answer. Now, I want to share with you uh, some of the scriptures that the people who wrote this catechism used to come up with this answer. <coughs> <clears throat> now, at noon, many of you will receive an email from me that um, 
we call our So What email. And if, you, if you're not getting that, please let me know, and I will, um, I will get you on the list. But uh, in that email, I will have the, the whole catechism answer broken down with not only the passages that I'm going to highlight here, but others. <laughs> There's about 35 of them that are behind this catechism answer. And so it'll be there for you to use devotionally uh, in the next week. There's about 10 parts of this answer. Or you could use one piece every week for the rest of the summer. Uh, find ways to use this. And I'm also encouraging all of us, that's why I included a copy of the question in your bulletin. Um, let's memorize this this summer. I've memorized it in the last couple of weeks, and it's been a great encouragement to me. So, what is your only comfort in life and in death? That I am not my own. That I am not my own. 1 Corinthians six nineteen and 20 says, Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit, with, of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God. You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. Isn't that a, a counterintuitive and controversial statement to make in our culture today? You are not your own. We live in a culture that wants to convince you that you are your own, therefore you decide who you are, what you are. And you, you make all the decisions about how you live. And others will have to bear with the consequences of your choices. Um, the scriptures say that for us, and this is good news, you're not your own. You don't belong to yourself, believer in Jesus. And uh, this week, as I underwent one of my procedures and I was Anxious as all get out, I was thinking, Lord, clearly I am not my own because you are allowing things to happen in my body that, I mean, I've done plenty of things to my body that I deserve to have some things, but these are things that I didn't have any control over. I am not my own. My body belongs to you. And that brings me to a place of Hard, cold submission. It doesn't have to be hard, cold because of the one I'm submitting to, but I'm not my own. Imagine how much anxiety we would um, lose if we were able to rest in the truth that we're not our own. If I'm not my own, I don't have to make it happen. I don't have to make... Um, my identity, what you need it to be, I need it to be. I don't have to live up to all the standards. I am not my own. But belong. I belong, body and soul, in life and death. So all of me, all time and eternity, I belong. Romans 14, 7, and, and I just, part of what I want to do this morning is just let scripture wash over you, so I'm going to try to say fewer things and just read these scriptures. Romans 14, 7 through 9, 
For none of us lives to himself, and none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. We belong to him. Body and soul, life and death. For to this end, Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord both of the dead and of the living. We belong to him, body and soul, in life and in death. We belong to him. We're not our own, but we belong to him. That, that might not be good news if he's not a good God. But the catechism goes on to describe the one to whom we belong. It says, I belong to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. He's faithful. He's the one who saves. 1 Corinthians 3.23 says, You are Christ's, and Christ's is God, is God's. Titus 2.14 says that Jesus gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself, for himself a people for his own possession. That's who we are, who are zealous for good works. And then one of my favorite prayers from Psalm 119.94, I am yours, save me. I am yours. I belong to a faithful Savior, so, so save me. What else? And so now the rest of the catechism is now, what is it that makes Jesus Christ this faithful Savior? And it breaks it down into two things. Basically, it shows that he has loved us by what he's done for us, and he loves us by what he continues to do for us. That's the rest of the answer to this catechism question. What has he done for us? How has he loved us? What has he done for us? He has fully paid for all my sins with his precious blood. One of the things that when you come face to faith, face to face with the end of your life, is you, you begin to reflect on what that life record has been. And you start to think about the ways that you did not live up to your own standards much less God's. And so a comfort to one who is coming to the end of their life is to know that all my sins have been fully paid for. Listen to those words. All my sins fully paid for with his precious blood. 1 Peter 1.18 and 19, we read it this morning. Know that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. His life of no blemish and no spot for ours. His blood to cleanse us. He has fully paid for all my sins with his precious blood, and he has set me free from the tyranny of the devil. <coughs> As I have been meditating on this lately, I, what is the tyranny of the devil that has particularly um, terrorized me? Um, I, I haven't had many demonic encounters or anything like that, um, little mild things here and there, but that's the tyranny that the devil has brought upon me 
is the lie that was told in the beginning, the lie that Romans 1 refers to when it says that people have exchanged the truth of God for the lie. And Sinclair Ferguson points out, as do others, that the lie Paul is speaking of there is the lie all the way back in the beginning of the garden, the lie that you can't trust this Father God. You can't trust his heart to be good to you and gracious to you. And so you have to take matters into your own hands. And that's what Adam and Eve did. And that's what we, their children, continue to do all the time. So this promise that I am set free from this tyranny, from this lie that comes from the devil. (coughs) That says, Jimmy... Look at these things that are going on in your life, in your family's life, and in the lives of the people of you love. What kind of father would let that happen to his children? What kind of heart must he have? Really? Did God really say that he was trustworthy? And Jesus has set me free from that lie. Jesus said to his disciples, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. But if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Hebrews 2, we read it a little while ago, that through death, Jesus came to destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and to deliver all those through fear of death who were subject to lifelong slavery. He has freed us from the lie that our sins are better because God's heart is not good. He frees us from the lie that we have to fear the death that sin has brought into the world. John said the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. Well, that's what Jesus has done. What does he continue to do because he loves us? He also watches over me in such a way, and then I'll stop right there. He watches over me in such a way. What kind of way? Listen to these, listen to these scriptures. John 6, <coughs> Jesus tells us what way he watches over us. And this is the will of him who sent me, Jesus said, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me. He's talking about us. But raise them up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. That's the way he watches over you. In John 10, Jesus said, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. The one who gave you to Jesus is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch you out of the Father's hand. That's such a way that he watches over you. 2 Thessalonians says, the Lord is faithful. He will establish you and guard you against the evil one. And then 1 Peter 1.5, we read it this morning. We, by God's power, are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed at the last time. 
He's watching over you in that way. And then he goes on. I love how personal this gets. He watches over me in such a way that not a hair can fall from my head without the will of my Father in heaven. Where does he get that from? He gets that from Jesus. Jesus said in Matthew 10, are are not two sparrows sold for a penny and not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. And even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, Jesus said, you are of more value than many sparrows. Well, listen, I've lost a lot of hairs, so he's been paying a lot of attention to me. And I'm, I'm... I'm comforted that that's the kind of detail over which Jesus and his Father by the Spirit are watching over you in the details of your life. And then I I just this morning read this in Psalm 56. Psalm 56, 8. David who's in the midst of, he's, I think in this psalm, he's captured by the Philistines. He says to God, you have, count, you have kept count of my tossings. Put my tears in your bottle. Are they not in your book? He watches over you in such a way that he keeps track of every toss and turn, and tear. He loves you and knows you that intimately. And then the writer of the catechism goes on, in fact, all things must work together for my salvation. I encourage you when you memorize this that you emphasize must. All things must work together for my salvation. And we read that in Romans 8 this morning. I'm not going to read it again, but all things work together for good. And then it goes on and says that the good, uh, the good he's referring to is the good of being conformed to the image of Jesus. And he goes on to say, God with Jesus will graciously, graciously give you all things all things that are good that will make you more like him. And the catechism is not saying that there are not bad things that hurt and that are hard and that will literally rip your heart out. But he's saying even even those, somehow the Father who loves you must work for good for your salvation, and, and this isn't just your salvation to get you into heaven. Salvation is something that's happening now. You have been saved by Jesus. You will be saved when you go see him face to face, but you are currently now being saved, and so all things must work together for your present salvation, the present work that he's doing in you to make you like his son. And then it concludes, because I belong to him, Christ by his Holy Spirit assures me of eternal life. Now, yes, Christ by his Holy Spirit is assuring you of the life to come. 
He's assuring you of the comfort that will survive your funeral. But Jesus defined eternal life this way. This is eternal life, he said, that they know you, Father, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Well, that's an eternal life that starts now. Because I belong to him, Christ, by his Holy Spirit, assures me that I know the Father, and I know him, and I will know them forever. He assures me of eternal life. And finally, he makes me wholeheartedly willing and ready from now on to live for him. Uh, In the email I sent you, there's a lot of scriptures about this, but the promise is that God in his grace and by his power, by his spirit, he will make you in life and in death wholeheartedly willing from now on to live for him no matter what. Where does that weird impulse come from Christians who suffer, who actually care about other people in the midst of their suffering? God, I want that. If you pray for me uh, about these things that are happening physically and these tests and things that I have to go through, would you pray that God, by his grace, would make me a man who loves the people who are working on me? To make me a man who's not selfish and, and just all, all, only worried about whether I'm being taken care of. I want to be more like Jesus. I'll close with this. Um... You may say, like I say, when you read this catechism question and you think, I don't have that kind of faith. What's going on in my life and in the lives of people I love? This sounds wonderful. It is sweet. It is precious. But I struggle to believe this. My faith is weak. And I I say to you, yeah, me too. Me too. Tim Keller once said that um, if you happen to be standing at the top of a cliff and you lost your footing and you fell and you noticed as you're sliding down there's a branch sticking out of the cliff um, and you could, if you could grab that branch um, that it would hold you, that it would save you. He said um, at that moment Uh, What matters most is not how strong your faith is, but how strong the branch is. Because you can have strong faith in a branch that can't save you. And what good does it do? It won't save you, no matter how strong your faith in it is. But if you have doubts and questions and wonderings about whether that branch can save you, but you grab it anyway and it's strong enough, it will still save you. Um, Friends, would you join me in seeking 
to grab on to the only comfort that is strong enough to save us in life and in death. The only comfort that will survive our funeral and sustain us until then. It's the Lord Jesus. Um, and we are his. Father, thank you for what how you're encouraging me with these things, with these truths. Um, I pray that it is an encouragement to your people as well. I pray that as, as some would take up the challenge to memorize this catechism and to study the scriptures that go behind it um, this summer, that you would uh, show us, um, get our eyes off of how strong or weak our faith is and get our eyes on how strong the branch is and how strong the one to whom we belong is, and all that he has done to love us, and all that he is continuing to do to love us. Show us Jesus, we ask in his sweet name. Amen.